0: It is the Locked On Podcast Network NBA Preview. The local experts on their team that they know better than anyone else. 30 teams in five days. Six teams a day. Starting with the Western Conference, the Dallas Mavericks, the Denver Nuggets, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Clippers, and the Grizzlies on today's edition of the Locked On Podcast Network NBA Preview.
1: You are locked on the NBA part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hello, I'm David Locke, host of your NBA preview show on the Locked On Podcast Network. So excited for this, our third straight year. It's our biggest show every year. We appreciate you tuning in. We are going to go to the local experts on each and every team, six a day over the next five days. So thank you for following Locked On NBA on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Spotify or whatever podcast you're using. Remember, you can tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on NBA. Here's what each local expert is going to give you, the two or three biggest storylines, the best-case scenario, the worst-case scenario what they like, what player they think will be thought of most differently, the career trajectory of a player that will be different at the end of the year, either good or bad, rookies, and their best guess on the season. They'll break that down for you. Then Josh Lloyd, the great host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, will check in for a fantasy preview of that team. Speaking of Locked On Fantasy Basketball, Josh is killing it right now, and if you're planning to play Fantasy Basketball, or if you're going to play FanDuel or Daily Fantasy, you've got to listen to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. That is available as well on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your smart speaker by saying Play Podcast Locked on Fantasy Basketball. All right, we are ready to roll. It is day one. As we said, here's what we're kicking off with for today. It is the Dallas Mavericks, the Denver Nuggets, the LA Lakers, the Houston Rockets, the LA Clippers, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's start it in Dallas, where Nick and Isaac do a great job with Locked on Mavericks.
2: Welcome. You're locked on the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead. I'm media member at MavsMoneyBall.com
3: and joining me, as always, what you got for me, Isaac Harris? So let's talk about the 2018-19 Dallas Mavericks because we don't talk about them enough, do we? Uh, we let's... don't,
2: but you guys probably don't. <laughs>
3: Looking at some of the top storylines for this upcoming season, it really centers around a couple different things, and with this new acquisition of Luka Doncic and stuff, but I want to start off by saying this could be the last season of Dirk Nowitzki in the league. You can't overlook this. He's one of the greatest players of all time, and the way it's shaping out, it looks like he will be kind of turning the shoes in at the end of the season, and this could be the last run for Dirk, and we need to appreciate that. His
2: role's going to be a little bit different. He's going to be coming off the bench, so that's going to be a big thing that we're looking at this season, how he's going to play. That bench unit last year, though, that was one of the best units in basketball last year, so that's a big storyline, and then obviously a big storyline we're watching is Luka Doncic, obviously. We're trying to see how he's going to come over from League, coming over to the NBA, how he's going to play against actual NBA players, how different points of his game will translate, how his jumper will translate with the farther back three point line, how he's going to you know play and defend specifically. And then also another storyline is how he plays with Dennis Smith Jr. That's a really big thing. Those are the two big pieces on this Mavericks team. So we're really watching to see how they play together, how Dennis Smith Jr.'s shot is going to develop, how his playing off the ball is going to develop. He did it a little bit last year playing with J.J. Barea, playing with Yogi Ferrell, but now playing with Luka Doncic, who's like a really, really, really good player, how he's going to play next to him and how he's you know, going to demand the ball. For best-case scenario for the Mavericks, if we're not talking about health at all, what needs to happen is Luka Doncic has to be borderline all-star level player. It doesn't mean that he's going to get voted in because, you know, rookies and all that stuff, but he has to be a borderline level player for this to work for the Mavericks to be at its best. And DeAndre Jordan has to be all-defensive team, I think, or at least that kind of level.
3: Really best and worst-case scenario for the Mavericks centers around Luka Doncic. And you don't want to put so much pressure on a rookie, but then again you do because the Mavericks did give up a future first-round pick to move up to select Luka Doncic. And they're going to put the ball in his hands and how he fits with Dennis Smith Jr. and Dennis playing off the ball some. When last year the spotlight was all on this uh, ninth overall pick and Dennis and how they're going to bond together and play on and off the ball together. So really best and worst case scenario goes into best case scenario Luca Doncic wins the rookie rookie of the year. Like a lot of people even outside of us are predicting that to happen. He fits with Dennis Smith Jr. just it's an effortless transition for Dennis and you know Dennis shoots the ball well. That whole um, duo together, a best case scenario, uh, they excel together. That's when you're going to get the best version of the Dallas Mavericks. But the worst case scenario goes into Luca takes time like there is a there is a path that Luka takes time to adjust into athleticism just coming over and and he is a rookie in the NBA even though he has been a professional player overseas and all that so really best and worst case outside of injuries evolves around Luka Doncic completely what
2: players most likely be thought of differently at the end of the season I'm going to say Maxi Kleba Maxi Kleba is a is a bench player that you know that not a lot of people may know. He came in from Germany last year. He he is a you know stretch big. He plays pretty good defense, better than I thought last year. He started about 36 games for the Mavericks last year, and I think he's going to be taking over a lot of minutes for Dwight Powell in that backup four, backup five spot, either backing up DeAndre, backing up wherever Dirk played. is going to be playing next to him in, in one of those lineups. So I think that's a player that you're going to look at differently than you looked at the
3: beginning of the season because some of you probably didn't even look at him at all. That's very true. Uh, I'm going to go with Dennis Smith Jr. just because a lot of people viewed his rookie season as this, hey, high-flying highlights type of thing. His numbers, uh, averages, uh, the advanced stats didn't help him a a ton. Uh, Synergy was not his best friend. But uh, I think at the end of the season, we're going to view him as a a cornerstone of the franchise, and the stats and percentages will show that.
2: And I think Dennis also, his career trajectory is going to be most impacted by this season, whether good or bad. I think if Dennis can play well with Luca, and so far it looks like that's going to be the case, and they're bonding off the court and all that stuff, and so it looks like it's you know going in the right direction. But if Dennis Smith Jr., if towards the end of the season, it, it starts getting bad, whether that's chemistry-wise or playing on the court-wise, if it starts to look really bad and even toxic, he could be... I mean, he could be off the team, <laughs> you know, like he could be shipped somewhere else. He'd be traded for a package or something. Uh, they could start looking in that direction. I don't think that'll happen. That's worst case scenario, obviously. And that could be the trajectory of his career. But also, if he looks like he's playing really well with Luka and it's working really well, then he could be like an untouchable player on this Mavericks team and that, you know, that nobody could get their hands on.
3: And I'd say keep an eye on Harrison Barnes too, and how Harrison adjusts to uh, Luca and Dennis in this uh, young duo. And being a contract year, kind of for Harrison, he has a player option at the end of the year. If Harrison comes in, could this affect his decision for that last year of his contract? Could this affect his next contract if he becomes the goes from being the leading score on the team to like a second or third will on the team? How will that affect his career going forward?
2: And Carlisle wants to play faster. He wants to play less iso ball, wants to pass the ball more. That's going to really affect Harrison Barnes, who's been really iso-heavy. He's been efficient in that area, but he's been very iso-heavy over the last couple of years. The rookies that will have an impact on the Mavericks, obviously Luka Doncic. We just said that the whole season rises and falls on Luka Doncic. That sounds like an impact to me. Uh, Jalen Brunson, he's going to get the backup guard minutes behind J.J. Bray and Devin Harris so that third-string you know, in the depth chart is pretty much Jalen Brunson. Uh, whenever J.J. Bare or Devin Harris are going to miss time, he's going to get some playing time. He'll get playing time in garbage time minutes or whatever you want to call them. He's going to get a lot of time like that. So he's going to have a little bit of an impact, uh, especially if this team sees some injuries. And then there's also two bigs, Costa Santa Antetokounmpo and Ray Spaulding that the Mavericks drafted in the second round. And I think those guys will have a little bit of an impact too.
3: Yeah, seeing how they grow, they're super raw, super young. And Jalen Brunson, they kind of view him as this future version of J.J. Barea. And he kind of gets this season to learn behind Devin and J.J. and, and get some spot minutes whenever Devin, Harris, or J.J. Barea sets out due to injury or rest.
2: Completely And our best guess as to how this season ends...
3: It ends pretty well. I think it'll end with the, with the eighth seed in the playoffs. They'll sneak in. We're on the same page with this. I think that uh, Luka Doncic does come in and have has a stellar rookie season, wins rookie of the year, helps propel this Mavericks team. I think there's obviously some injuries that happen uh, in the West that maybe knocks a team out or maybe a big trade happens or something like that. And I think they'll be fighting for that eighth seed, uh, seventh or eighth seed, and I think they'll sneak in at the when it's all said and done. Thanks so much for listening
2: to us, and uh, check out On Follow follows at LockedOnMaz at Nick Van Exit at Isaac L. Harris on Twitter.
0: Peace out. Bye. Got to love what a good time those guys are always having. That team has got a great deal of excitement. Dennis Smith, Luka Doncic playing well together. Points game projections for him, exclusive to the Lockdown Podcast Network. We have Dallas still ranking 10th offensively in the conference and 18th overall and finishing with a defensive ranking of about 10th overall and 20 in the conference and 20th. So not a playoff team, as they said, though that's the upside, that they suddenly battle. Carlisle, such a great coach maximizes this with DeAndre Jordan but overall having them probably finishing at least according to the points gain projections about 12th in the Western Conference Josh Lloyd is the host of Locked On Fantasy Basketball here's his quick take on the Mavericks fantasy players
4: Dallas Mavericks an interesting team for fantasy a little bit of a change most likely happening a little bit more up pace faster tempo more passing in this offense with the arrival of Luka Doncic I think he is going to be the best fantasy player on this team Someone you look at in the range of drafts between, say, 60 and 80 is probably the right spot, but he does have really true uh, true upside for the top 50. I think Dennis Smith also can be a top 100 player this season, struggled a lot with his efficiency last year with Doncic around to alleviate some of that ball handling and creation pressure. I think Smith's efficiency takes a step up, but one guy... I'd be looking at as a potential bust type player is Harrison Barnes, who's getting way overdrafted. I think he loses some usage. I think he loses rebounds with DeAndre Jordan in town. He's always been a little bit of a one-trick pony in fantasy anyway, being a guy who uh, scores and doesn't do anything else. If you're going to lose rebounds on top of that, plus lose a little bit of scoring, I think that he's going to struggle to be a top 100 player for this season. Whereas DeAndre Jordan, as we know, always a punt free throw percentage type of a player. His numbers should be similar to what we saw with the Clippers, although we'd be hoping that we see a little bit more of an increase in his block numbers, which were very disappointing last season, under one per game. If that can get back up, along with his legendary field goal percentage, high rebound numbers, he is a strong mid-round guy in fantasy. But they're the guys that I think we should be looking at play like Wes Matthews, JJ Breyer, and Dirk Nowitzki. I think we should be leaving those four deeper type of leagues, especially with Dirk not even on the court yet and likely to come off the bench for this upcoming season.
0: So there's your format. We'll get the breakdown from the local experts. I'll give you the points gained analysis of the team. Josh Lloyd will give you the fantasy. We're doing this every day, all week long on Lockdown NBA Hope. You are loving it. Let's get to the Denver Nuggets for stop number two on our preview today. Adam Matas does a great job and has huge, exciting shows coming up in a little bit. We'll tell you more about across the network. But here is his Nugget preview.
5: Hey, everyone. This is Adam Matas of Locked On Nuggets here to preview the 2018-19 Denver Nuggets season and what should be a very fascinating season for a very, very interesting team. The last two seasons, Denver has fallen just one game shy of the playoffs. Last year, falling in what was effectively a play-in game, game 82 of the season at Minnesota, a game that went to overtime but saw Minnesota win and Denver fall into the lottery. In a lot of ways, that game and that season defines the motivation for this year. It's playoffs or busts for the Denver Nuggets who are looking to get over the hump. It's also a storyline about the reintegration of Paul Millsap. Millsap was a huge free agent acquisition for the Nuggets last summer but injured himself, his left wrist in the first 18 games of the season and was forced to miss a majority of the year. He did return in late February, but was unable to dribble or rebound with his left hand and was very limited in what he could do. Since Denver has such a small sample size, there's a lot of questions around how he'll fit with Nikola Jokic on the offensive end. They're both very unique front court players who like to pass, like to shoot, like to make plays from the post. So can those two players mesh right off of the bat will be a big question. And then the addition of Isaiah Thomas as the backup point guard. Emmanuel Moutier was the backup point guard to start the season last year, and he was a very inexperienced, turnover-prone, and inefficient player from the point guard position for Denver. And as a result, the bench really struggled. The starting unit for the Nuggets was one of the 10 best starting five units in all of the NBA, but the bench was an enormous net negative. If Isaiah Thomas can come in and play 20 minutes per game at a high level and really captain that second unit, then I think Denver has quite a good upside. And then lastly, they added Michael Porter, Jr., at the draft a surprise pick he fell on draft night unexpectedly um, as rumor came out about him needing a second back surgery which he ended up getting this summer Denver took a chance on him and they look at him more as a long-term play while he has not been ruled out for the season uh, I think it's very unlikely that he will step on the court anytime this year instead electing to work on his body his rehab and spending this year as the sort of red shirt before getting the restart next year In order for Denver to make a big leap this year, the defense needs to jump into the top 20 in terms of defensive efficiency. The team finished the season ranked 26th in defensive rating last year and was really worse than that over the back half. After Paul Millsap got hurt, they were one of the three worst defenses for that long 44-game stretch. They need to improve and get up into the top half or top 20 in order for them to really reach their potential. The other thing that needs to happen is Nikola Jokic needs to pick up where he left off. Over the last 36 games of the season last year, Nikola Jokic averaged 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 7.5 assists. 21, 11, and 7.5. And he also shot 44% from the three-point line. Actually, I'm sorry, 46% from the three-point line on four attempts per game. He was absolutely on fire and seemed to really understand and for the first time embrace his aggressiveness and sort of his his role on the team as the fulcrum and focal point of the offense, if he picks up right where he left off, then I think not only will he be an all-star, but he'll help lead this team to 48, 50, maybe even more wins. Uh, Jamal Murray is also a player that's in line for a leap. He's a guy that was voted, received the most votes in the NBA.com GM survey, uh, surveyed all the general managers in the league of which player will make the biggest leap and Jamal Murray was the number one vote getter. He's a guy that, uh, Over the back half of the season, was a 40% three-point shooter on nearly six attempts per game. Really ran the pick and roll well in the back half of the year and just has started to make a lot of strides. If he can make another leap this year and be one of the team's three or four best players, then I think Denver's offense is going to be right up there with the best of them in the NBA. Worst case scenario is that the Denver Nuggets do not improve on the defensive end. Paul Millsap, I think, is a huge addition, and when he was healthy, they were very, very good. But can he, at a year older and coming back from this injury, can he continue to sort of put out so many fires on the defensive end? Or can the young core of Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Nikola Jokic, and Trey Lyles collectively all improve on the defensive end individually and elevate the team to not being a, a real liability on that end? There's also the chance that Nikola Jokic and Paul Millsap don't mesh well. We just have only seen 18 games of those two guys fully healthy so will there be a a learning curve for them once again and then of course isaiah thomas who is the big acquisition there's a chance he's he will not be healthy for the start of the year and that could extend weeks and even months into the season the longer he is out the more that second unit is in doubt i think the two people i look at to really changed the narrative about them this year Michael Malone who did not receive a contract extension from the Nuggets this summer he is entering the final year of his deal and he's a guy that's really well liked by a majority of the locker room not just liked but really liked and really supported and he's a guy that has when he arrived Denver won 30 games improved to 33 then 40 and then 46 so the team is on a very steady upward trajectory but just out of bad luck two years in a row they've been on the outside of the playoffs by one game looking If he can get the team into the playoffs, I believe he will get a nice contract extension and be the coach of the future. If not, um, then he probably will be let go and the team will go another direction. The other player is Will Barton, a player who came off of the bench for half of the season last year, started half of the season, was asked to be a point guard, a shooting guard, and a small forward, sometimes all in the same game. He is now comfortably, with a four-year, $54 million contract extension, going to be one of the starting five players at the small forward position for Denver. And he will be a guy who I think will have a more consistent role this year and who will fit in very, very nicely in Denver's high-powered offense as sort of a fourth or fifth option. Last year, he was a bit of a up-and-down player, but I think he'll get a lot more consistency playing with the starting unit players whose career trajectory is most impacted by this season. I think Trey Lyles is the first guy you'd look at. Entering his fourth season, didn't really get a great shot in Utah. Last year, there were months where he played really, really a lot of minutes. When Paul Millsap was hurt, when Millsap was not hurt, he didn't play as much. Denver's going to try to play him a little bit at small forward just to find more minutes for him, but he's a guy that entered camp in the best shape of his life, for real, not just, not just a saying. Um, looked great in the preseason, was one of the storylines out of training camp, and if he it sort of be that leading scorer off the bench or one of one of the big impact pieces as a stretch four then i think his career really goes to a different level. And then the other one is Paul Millsap. The Nuggets have a team option on his contract next year following this season and if they if he plays really well and meshes with Nikola Jokic, i think he could finish his career in Denver and sort of stay with this team through every step of their process. If he doesn't fit, then Denver may decline that option and look to move on from him. So i think his career can go a couple different directions. There are the two, two rookies of note, Jared Vanderbilt out of Kentucky and Michael Porter Jr., um, who of course we talked about earlier, but I don't know that either one of those players will, will have a major impact. Both I think I'm very high on and I think they have a lot of upside, but because of some injuries, both of them sustained in college, I think they're going to be more G league players or just sitting out this entire year. And then my best guess on how this season ends, I think Denver is a 48-win team. They have an upside to be a little bit more than that, but I think given how young they are, there's still some lessons for them to learn. I think they'll be a dangerous team come April, but overall I think they finish somewhere in the 6, 7, or 8 seed and get 48 wins. Thanks so much for listening, guys. You can check everything out you need to know about the Denver Nuggets on Locked On Nuggets.
0: If you are a Nuggets fan, Adam's show is a must-listen. If you're a basketball fan, I suggest it as well. Adam's so bright on basketball. Points gained, loves this team offensively. Third best in the Western Conference, only behind the Warriors and a surprise team. Fourth best overall in all of the NBA. The question as Adam talked about is where do they finish defensively? If they've really put all the chits to one end of the table, then it's going to be a question of whether they can finish well. Even though, with that great offense with a 24th ranked defense as we project them 13th in the Western Conference have them as making the playoffs tied with the Clippers actually for the 8th spot right with Portland for the 7th spot uh, we'll get to the Clippers here later on today's show but having them make the playoffs now if that defense slides up and, they down, and Denver can suddenly be 20th or 18th or 17th defensively you're talking a team that can start knocking on the door for possibly home court that's going to be a lot of what Adam talked about uh, there, so. Denver, very exciting team. Point gains liked all their moves. The loss of Wilson Chandler is a good thing for them. Uh, a lot of addition by subtraction in the Western Conference. And then what do they get from Isaiah Thomas, as we talked about, is going to be a huge issue. One concern I have on Denver that I would share is Paul Millsap showing a lot of statistical signs of aging. Lack of shooting at the rim, not as good as shooting at the rim, lack of block shots, Those are lack of rebounding, those are all signs of aging. Paul Millsap usually defies that, but nobody's ever to fight it all the way. Let's hear what Josh Lloyd has to say in regards to the Nuggets and fantasy.
4: The Denver Nuggets are a team chock full of fantasy goodness. Their starting five, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will barton and Paul Millsap, all look like they'll be top 100 players for this upcoming season. And there's also Isaiah Thomas, whenever he gets healthy from that hip injury, who's got a chance to crack that area. Nick Jokic is probably a top six, top seven fantasy guy for this season. You're not going to get him outside the first round. Murray and Harris are both top 50 type of players who, depending on what site you're playing on, you might find them available a little bit later, but they are consistent. They're rock solid. Murray, a little bit different of a point guard, not going to get you those big assists because so much of that is going through Jokic, but you're making up for that with supreme efficiency, great free throw shooting, solid scoring. Will Barton, I do believe this season that his numbers are going to take a step back as he moves into the starting lineup. So much of his numbers came last season, or his big fantasy performances came as he was running that second unit without Jokic, without Murray, without Harris next to him. And he's not going to have as much of that ability this season because even if he does move into that second unit, he'll be sharing the ball alongside Isaiah Thomas. So he is a little bit of a trap player for this season. While Paul Millsap should be a little bit better than he was last year, fully healed from that wrist injury, but he is 33 years of age. So some age-related decline should be baked into what you're looking for him. And he is another candidate, I believe, on this team. To be a little bit overdrafted, if we're looking for a sleeperish type player, maybe it's Trey Lyles who Mike Malone's been talking up as maybe playing some power forward and some small forward this season. But the Nuggets, a team chock full of fantasy goodness for this upcoming season.
0: I'd say just basketball goodness. That is a fun team to watch this year. Los Angeles Lakers and Houston Rockets are coming up next as we continue on the NBA preview edition of the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts giving you the breakdown on their teams. LeBron James is a Laker. What else has made Anthony Irwin the happiest man in the world? Probably nothing. Let's go to the Lakers. Anthony Irwin with the breakdown of the Lakers this season. Are they a playoff team has become a question mark, though. Tim Bontemps, Washington Post said no. Kevin Pelton, ESPN said no. Points gained? We'll tell you after what Anthony says about his team.
1: Anthony Irwin here, host of Locked On Lakers. I'm going to do my part in this NBA preview series that we've done the last few years. It's been a lot of fun to do this, so let's just dive right into it. Uh, The first question here is two or three of the biggest storylines coming into camp. Well, the first storyline is obviously that LeBron guy that that the Lakers signed. He was a pretty big addition, the biggest signing that the Lakers have had since Shaq, uh, though that's kind of not quite the way you want to look at it because they've they've done so much via trade uh but but yeah i mean he's maybe the best player currently playing one of the best players in the history of the game and and we're going to find out what he can do to lift up this organization back to the heights that that fans kind of expect of it uh to roll with that the second biggest storyline is whether the kids are ready for it the lakers did make veteran acquisitions over the course of of the offseason after signing LeBron but but Lance Stevenson, javelle McGee's is a good fit for this team, Rajon Rondo, like those guys aren't at the point of their careers or were never the kinds of players that that you would look at and say okay they they are going to be the the centerpieces of of a title contender moving forward. That's where Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, those guys need to be ready to step up because there's there's just quite a bit on the line here. If they if they don't live up to expectations speaking about the kids here. The Lakers can always move them, uh, but at that point, if you're moving them after they haven't lived up to expectations, the return on that isn't going to be what what it would be maybe right now. So, so those are the two biggest storylines from the offseason heading into next year. I guess if I had to give a third, it would be Luke Walton, and he isn't necessarily a Magic Johnson hire. I mean, he literally isn't a Magic Johnson hire. So that's going to be interesting to watch if this team – doesn't quite live up to expectations would would magic and rob Polenko want to bring in their guy next question what needs to happen for the rest for the best case scenario uh other than health all right, so the best case scenario Brandon Ingram becomes LeBron James' Pippen, Lonzo Ball's shot turns around and and I mean we aren't supposed to say health, but Lonzo missed 30 games last year so that's going to be a factor, right? So so Lonzo Ball lives up to his expectations Kyle Kuzma becomes kind of a six man of the year candidate with his scoring punch off of the bench Josh Hart becomes Dan- Danny Green Rajon Rondo fits into a role as a backup point guard JaVel McGee's asthma problem allows him to play more than 20 minutes a game and and the role players behind that Lance Stevenson gets waived. wait who said that I oh. Uh, if, if all of those things go to plan, I think the Lakers can be very comfortably, uh, a playoff team. And, and this is kind of a play, a a dangerous team come playoff time. LeBron is an absolute monster in the playoffs. Rajon Rondo helped beat, uh, helped, helped upset the, the Blazers last year. So that'll be fun to watch. What would lead to the worst case scenario? Don't say injuries. Worst case scenario, Brandon Ingram and LeBron James aren't, they they never quite fit comfortably. Lonzo Ball's shot doesn't come around, uh, and and the Lakers have to rely heavily on Rajon Rondo, who is not very good, has not been very good in the last few regular seasons, uh, and and all of the things that I just said a second ago. The other kids not leaving up to expe- living up to expectations. Uh, Lance Stevenson creates discord with with the the minimized role that he's probably going to have. Those kinds of things all come together, and the Lakers miss the playoffs. And, and it would be pretty disappointing if the Lakers don't make the playoffs. Player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season. I really think we're in for a Brandon Ingram breakout year. Uh, it won't be in ways necessarily that most people will, will consider. I don't think you'll see a huge uptick in his scoring because LeBron is, is going to get a, a lot of that he's just such an efficient scorer lebron is that you say well he should be your highest volume scorer uh but i think ingram on the defensive end using his length using his athleticism uh creating just dis- dis- disrupting anything that that the opposing team is trying to do so that the lakers can get out and run the way that they want to that's going to be huge for this lakers team next question Players whose career trajectory is most impacted this season either good or bad. Ooh, that's a fun one. I think Lonzo Ball is the guy here. Now it's it's tough because he's only heading into a second season. But if he isn't able to stay healthy or if... The fit is awkward with LeBron, uh, and and or if he isn't getting in as much time because Rajon Rondo has maybe earned it more than him, and and his dad goes out and says some stuff that that rubs everybody in LA the wrong way, uh, and and the Lakers look to make some kind of midseason deal because the experiment with the kids doesn't go as planned. Well, then that's where Lonzo would probably be involved and and I don't know if Lonzo I don't know if Lonzo was really ready for that kind of hit. He he a lot of stuff tends to roll off his back like water on a duck's lee of feathers, but but I don't I, I I felt I wish I felt more confident in Lonzo Ball this year. Next question, rookies who will have an impact and how much? Well, Mo Wagner is the Lakers' first-round pick from last year. He's been dealing with a bone bruise that's held him out of all the way back since – summer league and then now getting ready for he's going to miss all of the preseason I just don't see a rookie being able to overcome that much missed time so I don't think he's going to have much of an impact. Uh, So the other rookie that you really look at, Isaac Bonga, isn't ready for the NBA, so the other rookie that you look at is maybe Svima Kailuk he's the best shooter on the Lakers and so far in preseason the shots haven't fallen, Uh, but but if you're just looking at somebody who you need to, to throw out there and space the floor for LeBron he's kind of the most likely candidate if that's all you're looking for uh so so that's the guy that that i think of all the rookies that the lakers have and they only have three of them uh that's that's who i'd point to and say maybe he impacts this team in some way shape or form last question your best quest my my best guess on how the season ends I think it ends in the playoffs. I think maybe they 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 contend and they give whoever they play a tough first-round series. Maybe they upset somebody and then lose in the second round. I think second round is about as high as I'd be willing to, to go was in terms of trajectory of this team. Uh, but you never know, man. It's LeBron James. It's... It, It's hard to really factor in his greatness here because it's so great, because he could have such an immense impact on the Lakers that that you don't quite know what – what he and these this team is capable of. And and really as Magic Johnson has said and had and said into the heading into this off season, it's a two year building thing. It's it's step one was getting LeBron. Now they have him. Now they gotta they, they have to do enough to impress another superstar and and get that player on the team somehow this upcoming offseason and and that's where we'll really see what the lakers are capable of so so this year it's just find out what the kids are see what they can what they're capable of while playing next to lebron james and then move forward according accordingly <laughs> uh that'll do it though for this player season preview for the lakers it's going to be a fun one i think the lakers they're always a team to watch but this year especially they 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 could kind of throw a wrench in things if things come together for this team so so we'll see how that turns out thanks to everybody for listening we'll talk to you next time
0: it was nice of Anthony not just start cackling and laughing at all of us because he got LeBron. If you've listened to the Friday edition of Lockdown NBA, that wouldn't have been totally out of his character to do such a thing. So I'm a little surprised he didn't do that. Anthony has a great time with Lockdown Lakers. They do a super nice job on that show. The Lakers, according to points gained, which does not equate what LeBron James can do for his teammates, don't make the playoffs. Now there's probably a flaw in this in that LeBron is going to make everyone's life easier along the way, but they add some negative players. Lonzo ball last year was not an efficient player. Brandon Ingram hasn't been an efficient player. Lance Stevenson is a minus 1.1 points gain player. Rajon Rondo minus 0.5. So they're not, a gr- they, they offensively don't come out particularly well. They do, you do get credit for LeBron. Now, LeBron's going to have to bring everyone's play up, or else that group is just not going to peak out. We have them finishing as just out of the playoffs in points gained, largely because the offense ranks 19th in the NBA. The defense comes in about 14th, and that gets them just on the outside looking in, awfully close uh, to where some of those teams are. But our points gained matches the real plus-minus analysis of Kevin Pelton, probably flawed in the sense of what LeBron can do for his teammates. And that's a big question when you deal with fantasy as well. And here's Josh Lloyd to discuss that.
4: The Los Angeles Lakers, so much uh, to change this season uh, compared to what we've seen from them in the past. LeBron James joins, of course. I think he is a little bit at risk of getting overdrafted, going off the board at pick five in many leagues. I don't think he's going to play all 82 games. I don't think he's going to play the same minutes low that he played in Cleveland. And all this talk of him taking a step back from ball handling duties worries me a little bit having him as a, as a fifth overall pick. There's also the concerns with Lonzo Ball, who legitimately has top 30, top 25 type upside But with the knee injury to slow things down for him at the beginning of the season, Rajon Rondo and LeBron's insistence on on perhaps bringing him in and maybe giving him some minutes do worry me a little bit with ball. And as well as LeBron taking some of those stellar assist numbers that Lonzo got last season. I imagine he does improve his percentages, but I still think that he uh, is probably not going to realize his potential this season. A few guys on the Lakers, I do believe, are being overdrafted as well. Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma. I find it hard for Kuzma to be able to replicate exactly what he did last season in terms of usage and efficiency, and he doesn't contribute in many other areas. So. If he's being picked in the top 100, which it is, pick 75 on Yahoo, that feels way too high for me. And Brandon Ingram really excelled at the end of last season with his three-point shooting, but it was a limited sample size, so who knows if that's real. He also played really well when ball was out, and he had the ball in his hands the majority of that time. Now he's got to share it with Lonzo, with LeBron, with perhaps Rondo, with perhaps Lance Stevenson. So I think some of Ingram's value may be a little bit uh, overstated. The center position, there's some value potential there. You look at JaVale McGee as a late-round pick. Maybe it's if it's a Zubats, whoever gets 20-plus minutes there could chime in with some decent rebound and block numbers, whereas guys like Kentavious, Corwell-Pope, and Josh Hart are more of your, uh, your waiver-wire type guys. So I think there's a real risk that majority of Lakers guys get a little bit overdrafted for this upcoming season.
0: Remember, Josh Lloyd has a daily podcast, Locked on Fantasy Basketball. He also has... Basketball monster site, fabulous if you're playing daily fantasy or if you're playing in a league. The Houston Rockets were the story last year of who was going to challenge the Warriors. They still live a little bit of a world of what if it weren't for this injury or that injury. Ben DuBose gives us the breakdown of where he sees the Rockets with their offseason moves.
6: Ben DuBose here with Locked on Rockets, giving you a quick preview of what I think most of us believe is the NBA's second-best team entering the season behind the two-time defending champion Golden State Warriors. We'll start with the two or three biggest storylines going into camp. To me, the obvious storyline from the jump for the Rockets is the integration of Carmelo Anthony. It seems evident at this point that barring injuries, he's going to be coming off the bench. Will he embrace that role? We know what happened with the Who Me saga during training camp last year with Oklahoma City. This will be the first time he has ever come off the bench in his NBA career. Will he embrace that role? And will he embrace the Rockets' shot selection? We know that generally, unless you are an elite mid range shooter, which Carmelo Anthony is not, the Rockets do not like those types of shots. They want him to take more threes, more driving to the bucket, less contested 16, 18-footers, which is something Carmelo has done too much, especially in his early 30s, as his athleticism has started to wane a little bit. Will he embrace the bench roll, and will he be okay with changing his shot selection at 34 years old to mesh with the Rockets? I think they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed, because if you bring Carmelo Anthony Off the bench, you can run your offense through him at times, give him some mellow time, if you will, make him happy. Also, in terms of his defensive deficiencies, you bring him off the bench, you're putting him against opposing second team players, so you can kind of mitigate his weaknesses on that end. So on paper, you can see a path to it working out. Will it actually do so on the basketball floor? Stay tuned. The other big storyline for me is who starts at the small forward spot. A lot of us thought this entire offseason after the Rockets lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute that they would slide in James Ennis, who profiles as a somewhat similar 3-and-D type wing to replace Trevor Ariza into the starting lineup, and that's still under consideration. However, one thing that we've heard in the early days of training camps is that the Rockets are also considering going ultra-small and starting Eric Gordon at the three spot, effectively going with a three-guard lineup of Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon. It's something the Rockets did not do that often during the regular season, but we saw it at times in the postseason. It was lethal offensively, and even defensively, they held their own against the Warriors. If you remember those Game 4 and Game 5, the two close games that went down the stretch, Eric Gordon was on the floor, and he actually hit the two biggest shots in each of those games. So there's a lot of potential offensively, but how will it hold up defensively over the 82-game grind? Can you be that small? That's what the Rockets are going to find out. I think to compete with the Warriors, they need to increase their variance, and so they see it as offensively a potentially lethal combination. The question is how well it would hold up defensively, and I think that's what the preseason and early regular season will be about finding out. If it doesn't work out, I think They would easily go back to James Ennis filling that Trevor Ariza role, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that gives them slightly lower upside. I think they are hoping for the Gordon starting scenario to work out, because if it were to, that theoretically increases your upside. And I think that's what you have to think about when you're competing with the Golden State Warriors. Now, what needs to happen for the best case scenario? Aside from staying healthy, which is obviously a big deal for the Rockets, especially when you consider that Chris Paul's hamstring injury is what derailed them after taking a 3-2 lead on the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Aside from that obvious statement, I think the biggest thing is the continued growth of Eric Gordon and Clint Capella. I said throughout last season that in terms of the Rockets catching the Warriors, it was less about James Harden and Chris Paul because we knew the top 10 players, MVP caliber in Harden's case, that you would get... From them, it was more about can Eric Gordon and Clint Capella, who had showed you flashes, take it to the next level, to a fringe All Star level, to where I'm not going to say they're on the same level as Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, but at least be competitive. And we saw both of them take a big step forward. And I think the rankings we've seen heading into the season, the various player rankings, have both in the top. 50. You've seen some of Clint Capella even in the top 30. So the question is, can they continue to build on that? If they give Eric Gordon a bigger role, can he continue to get better and improve the chemistry? Keep in mind, Gordon is just 29 years old. I know it feels like he's older than that. He's still relatively young. Clint Capella, we saw a lot of growth last year between year three and year four. Can he continue to get better? He got his big contract. Can he get his free throws into the mid-60s percentage-wise? That would take away a big weakness of his. In terms of competing with the Warriors, not just in the regular season when the Rockets won a league-high 65 games but in the playoffs, it's going to be less about Chris Paul and James Harden, and it's going to be more about those variables. And if you can continue to get the same production you got last year or even better from the likes of Clint Capella and Eric Gordon, get them playing at a fringe all-star level at times, then that, to me, is the biggest upside scenario for the Rockets, what needs to happen for them to actually beat the Warriors four times out of seven, assuming that you get health this year out of Chris Paul. As far as what leads to the worst-case scenario, I'm actually going to tie that in with the player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season, and the worst-case scenario is that you can't replace the defense you lost with Trevor Ariza and Luke baamute and the reason I'm tying it in with the next question, which is player most likely to be thought of differently, I'm going to go with James Ennis for that latter question, because the worst-case scenario, look, it's obvious, the Rockets did lose two quality defensive players from a team that by the postseason was one of the top five in the league. That was the big difference, aside from adding Chris Paul from the previous year's Rockets, who were a 55-win group that lost in round two, to the 65-win juggernaut that, except for an ill time Chris Paul hamstring injury, effectively had the Warriors on the ropes. Ariza and Baamute by any measure are good players, and Carmelo Anthony, while he's a suitable replacement for Ryan Anderson, he's certainly not going to replace the defensive angle from those two. However, my personal intuition is that a lot of the national NBA media are not giving credit to the system, making it easier for James, uh, or excuse me, for Trevor Ariza and Luke Baamute to do what they did. I'm a big believer that with the infrastructure in Houston, James Harden, Chris Paul. Mike D'Antoni leading a great staff that you can plug and play someone like a James Ennis and provide very similar results. Will that happen? Stay tuned, but my guess is that it will, and so that's why I think James Ennis, who to this point has been something of a journeyman, in my opinion, is going to flourish, and so I think you're going to look at him very differently at the end of the season. Now, players whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, to me, it's clearly Carmelo Anthony. He's 34 years old. He's taking on a new role Let's be frank, if this doesn't work out for Carmelo Anthony, it's going to be hard to find a role for him moving forward in the NBA. He's going to have every opportunity. His defensive deficiencies, you mentioned that earlier, coming off the bench, those are going to be hidden a little bit more. He's going to get more open shots than ever with Chris Paul and James Harden. If given all of those potential advantages, the talent in Houston, if he still can't make it work, if he is a net negative player this season, I don't know what the role for Carmelo Anthony is going forward in the NBA. I'm personally bullish on Carmelo. I know David Locke is not. But ultimately, either way, I think this season will tell the tale. If it doesn't work out in Houston, I don't know how it can anywhere else. Now, rookies who will have an impact on the Rockets and how much? Really none. The only drafted rookie that the Rockets had hopes for was Anthony Milton, and they traded him to Phoenix in the... Uh, Ryan Anderson trade, offloading salary, bringing in Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. However, there are some second- and third-year players to keep an eye on. Rockets are a veteran team, expected to contend. That's why they're not going to give major gigs to rookies, barring major injuries. But behind Clint Capella at the center spot, I don't think they want 36-year-old Nene to win that job. So between second-year players, Isaiah Hartenstein out of Germany, Joe Chi out of China, and then Marquise Chris, former lottery pick who they traded for from the Suns in the aforementioned Brian Anderson deal, there's going to be about 12 to 15 minutes behind Clint Capella there for the taking at the backup five. We'll see who wins that in training camp in the preseason. But that's your young player, that's your breakout candidate for the Rockets, barring any sort of major injuries. As far as my best guess on how the season ends, I think they get back to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, and then it's anyone's guess. I do think one other question for the Rockets going into the season, will James Harden have the same edge from what I have seen so far in training camp? He absolutely does. Early in his career when he went off, when he came off off seasons in which he got to take a bit of a victory lap, if you will, after signing Dwight Howard, after the year he won the players MVP back in 2015 and getting the Rockets to the Western Conference Finals, it didn't seem like his fitness was the best. This year, we're seeing a much more mature James Harden, even... After coming off an MVP season, he still seems to have that edge that made him MVP last year. He's taken on leadership, took the team on a preseason trip to the Bahamas to basically have a mini camp before the training camp. So I think James Harden is ready to go. And assuming health, James Harden and Chris Paul are absolutely going to be a lethal combination again. However, the Warriors are what they are, and they've added Bogey Cousins. My personal feeling is that the Rockets probably need one more addition, be it a trade, maybe Jimmy Butler, or a marquee buyout acquisition, maybe Trevor Ariza again, to actually beat the Warriors four times out of seven. But right now, I think they're good enough, clearly, to get back to the Western Conference Finals. Will they actually beat them four times out of seven? I think they could, but I think the answer is going to come in the the following months whether Gerald Morey can get that one last deal to get them over the finish line and get them that fourth win in the Western Conference Finals that they could not this past year.
0: Ben, generally one of the most optimistic people around about his ball club, you can still feel the pain of that last little loss along the way. All right, points gained doesn't love what the Rockets did in the offseason. In fact, as crazy as this is, points gained, for those who are not used to it, the idea is if you take the average player, if he had the same amount of possessions as Carmelo Anthony or somebody else, does Carmelo Anthony score more or less than the average player? Carmelo is a bit was a big negative last year in Houston. In fact... The loss of Luke Bamute and Trevor Ariza and the addition of Carmelo Anthony comes out to about the exact same offensive impact as LeBron James. That's how bad Carmelo was last year. Minus 1.7 in points gained. Marquise Chris is not much better at minus 0.7. Brandon Knight, who's injured and we'll see if he ever plays, is minus 1.1. So stunningly, Daryl Morey of the numbers added a bunch of guys that – seemingly are inefficient that brings Houston down a little bit in our projections of what they're going to be able to be offensively and they actually fall behind two other teams offensively and become fourth offensively behind the Warriors a surprise team and then as we mentioned the Denver Nuggets still projecting them to be very good defensively 10th best and we have them as finishing third in the Western Conference on points gained that probably is a little unoptimistic for a team that's got as much talent as they do. I'm sure in fantasy world, those two top guys, Chris Paul and James Harden, get a lot of love from Josh Lloyd.
4: The general consensus with the Houston Rockets is they may have taken a step back in this off-season, but for fantasy, James Harden is still going to be worthy of a top-two pick. If you've got pick number one, you're probably looking at Davis. If you've got pick two, James Harden is the guy I believe you go for. Chris Paul, a little bit of an interesting one on a per-game basis. He's still a real shot as a top-15 guy, but I do think that the Rockets might be a little bit more cautious with his minutes, and that persistent hamstring problem makes him probably someone that I'd like to avoid in that second round. Just don't want my second-round player playing only 50-odd games for the season, Clint Capella, I imagine a little bit of a larger minutes load for him this coming season, which should elevate him. But of course, you have to watch your free throw percentage with Clint. He is solid in that third round, maybe fourth round type of zone to get some blocks and to get some field goal percentage. While Eric Gordon and Carmelo Anthony, they're both getting picked around pick number 100. I think that's probably a little bit high for those guys. Gordon thrives. When either Harden or Paul are out, there are some whispers that maybe he starts alongside both of those guys. But when he plays with them, he doesn't have the same sort of numbers that he has when one of those guys are out. When he increases his free throw attempts and increases his assists and increases his usage and becomes that top 60 guy. But when they're all there, he just can't get those same amount of opportunities. And I think it's going to be more of the same for him. Mallow is a late round flyer. Maybe he can recover some of that efficiency that completely went out the window in Oklahoma City last season. And then you've got the other presumptive starter, James Ennis and P.J. Tucker. Not real great fantasy options, more deeper league players. And if you're looking really deep, I think Isaiah Hartenstein is an interesting type of player. Maybe he can snag that uh, backup center role on the nights that Nene doesn't play. And he does have really strong uh, fantasy numbers from his time in the G League, but uh, not going to trouble the scorers in the majority of fantasy formats.
0: Four down, two to go. The Clippers and the Grizzlies are coming up next on the Locked On NBA Preview Show here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Two more to go. The Los Angeles Clippers have been dismissed because they no longer have Chris Paul, they no longer have Blake Griffin, and they no longer have DeAndre Jordan. But I'm not convinced that that's the best decision. This might be the deepest team. They might have the star rookie. They still have Lou Williams and Tobias Harris. How optimistic are our fun hosts of Locked on Clippers? Let's find out.
7: What's up, guys? This is Charles Mochler, one of the hosts of the Locked On Clippers podcast, here to give you a bit of an outlook for the Clippers this year. A couple of large storylines we have. Tobias Harris rejected his contract extension in the offseason from the Clippers. Uh, kind of an amicable rejection. I think we all kind of knew he was going to. He's holding out for a max contract next season, which... It's going to be tough. Uh, He's going to have to make show that he's improving. He has been every year. If he can get over 20 points a game, improve some of his defense and his passing, I have no doubt he will at least get an offer from the Clippers, potentially some other players. He seems to be fitting very well in Doc, uh, and the front office really likes him. Uh, Another really large... Aspect of how this year's going to pan out is how the two lottery picks play for the Clippers. Shea Gilgus Alexander and Jerome Robinson were selected. Jerome, kind of a surprise for most fans, I would say. Um, I don't think anyone other than the Clippers knew he was going to be taken right there. So we're going to have to see if they get a lot of playing time under Doc's system. It seems that Shea is a little more ready than Jerome, so he might see some G League time. But the rookies are uh, seemingly going to be cornerstones for this team. Uh, two lottery picks is very lucky to have. So them making an impact their first year is a pretty large uh, storyline for the Clippers, something to keep an eye on definitely. Best case scenario for this season, I think uh, all the new pieces are going to have to really work together and mesh well. Uh, we lost DeAndre Jordan. Gortat comes in. He's a great pick-and-roll guy. We're hoping that he can kind of teach Shea and Jerome some stuff at this level. Uh, so there's a lot of new players. Mike Scott's new. Uh, Milos is coming back. A lot of guys are coming back from pretty bad injuries. So all of them meshing well. That needs to happen. And another key for the best case scenario for the Clippers is surviving their initial uh 10 or so games. It's very brutal. I believe we're favored in one of those games. So getting through that first really tough stretch is going to open things up for the rest of the year. On the flip side, worst case scenario, uh, like I said before, Tobias is expected to make a jump. If he doesn't make a jump, the team really kind of has to lean on Gallinari, who, you know, isn't the uh, most reliable guy. Uh, games played-wise, so that's going to be, that would contribute to a terrible worst-case scenario. Uh, The rookie's not developing. If Shea doesn't really show the potential, or if Shea doesn't meet the potential he seems to be showing, it's going to all go all downhill. And then uh, our center position is consisted of Boban, Gortat, and Montrezl Harrell, so it's a very shallow position. If we don't get good play out of them, uh, other teams are going to feast in the low post against us, which will definitely not be fun. Montrez Harrell is a guy who I think people are going to see differently at the end of this year. I think uh, pretty diehard NBA fans were aware of his hustle and what he brings to the court. But this year, I definitely, I actually think he has a shot at the Most Improved Player Award. He's been working incredibly hard this summer. Uh, he's focused. He got a, you know, a. Contract extension, or a new contract from the Clippers, which is great, so the team believes in him. But I think by the end of the year, Trez is going to be a guy who might even get some pretty uh, juicy trade offers for him because he could absolutely help a contender uh, or a team, perhaps maybe in a better position than the Clippers, depending on how you view it. A player who I think... Really, a lot hinges on this year, I guess kind of legacy-wise, is going to be Patrick Beverly. He seems very involved in the front office. He's been in a couple talks Balmer has held. He's the only player who's actually been at those or participated in them. He's really excited uh, to mentor the young guys. SGA, Shea, has been someone who can definitely... Uh, learn from Patrick Beverly what he brings to the floor. So if he can really kind of mentor these young guys, stay on the court, stay active, he could put himself in a position to be a staple within this Clippers organization. He's taken a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. He seems to really embrace it. So that's going to be a player, and he's hungry. Uh, He wants to make up for missed time last year. So it's going to be really cool to see him, with his focus and drive, try and take charge of this team. I've mentioned him a couple times already, but the biggest rookie who's going to have an impact, hopefully, is going to be Shea Gilgis-Alexander. The organization absolutely loves him. He's the only player that Lee Jenkins mentioned in his letter about joining the Clippers when he was hired for them. The franchise definitely seems all in on him being a cornerstone. Uh, He wants to go up against Patrick Beverly in practices that's been reported, so that's just something that's fantastic to see. He's going to have a huge impact. He's already scrimmaging with the second unit, which... You know, compared to Doc's usual history, it's a pretty good thing to see. We're hoping he gets some minutes. I think he could cement himself into the starting lineup, uh, especially if he, you know, crushes in the beginning of the season during this tough stretch and kind of helps us out, ride that storm. So I'm hoping he has a big impact. I think he's going to end up in the starting lineup by the end of the year, which is going to be huge uh, for a rookie under Doc Rivers. How the season is going to end. Uh, I'm going to say I think the Clippers are going to win just enough games to give their fan base hope that they'll make the playoffs, but ultimately maybe fall short. Uh, I think Vegas has us at 35 wins. I'm absolutely taking the over, and I'm going to put the wins at the same total as last year. I think they're winning 42 games, but they're going to miss out on the playoffs. That's pretty much it uh, for this season. It's going to be kind of a bumpy ride. We've got a lot of new pieces. Hopefully it works out. Uh, don't forget, if you guys like what I said, check us out at Lockdown Clippers on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, you know, Charles, points gained kind of likes the Clippers. Does not see it as quite the same rocky road. First off, they've got some guys that are really, really solid. And Tobias Harris and Lou Williams are good offensive players. Montrell's Harrell is vastly underrated. And you've got generally above-average guys. Patrick Beverly and Avery Bradley both had bad years last year. Are they going to be able to healthy? be healthy, or are they negatives? Danilo Gallinari was not healthy last year. was a minus .3, but he's always been one of the better points gained guys. There's a lot of upside on this, and even without all of that upside calculated, we have the Clippers coming in as the 12th-ranked offense, 19th-ranked defensive team in the NBA, which gives them the 8th spot in the Western Conference tied with the Nuggets and actually sliding behind the Nuggets and just missing out on the playoffs but ahead of the Lakers. Crazy? We'll see. We have the Clippers as a better offensive team and a little less good defensive team than the Lakers, and finishing ninth with the Lakers finishing tenth. Denver sneaks into the playoffs ahead of the Clippers, according to our projections. From a fantasy standpoint, there's some wild cards here. Josh Lloyd gives you the insight.
4: The LA Clippers, a team with seemingly too many players for rotation spots. Tobias Harris looks to be the best fantasy option for this coming season. He was a top 30 guy after he arrived in the Blake Griffin trade last season. Maybe that yeah, that sort of level isn't quite attainable with all the players coming back from injury, but a solid top 40, top 45 sort of guy who who could push to that 20-point-per-game barrier this season, an excellent fantasy option. I think Lou Williams' numbers will drop this year. He won't be asked to take on as large of a role or play as many minutes as what he did last season, but still... A solid mid-round guy when you're looking for scoring and free throw percentage boost. Danilo Gallinari is an excellent late-round pick. We know that he's had so many injury problems, but when he gets healthy, the top 80, top 70 is far from out of reach with Gallinari. Talk of him playing some center as well. Great as a last-round pick, as is Patrick Beverley, currently locked, or not locked in, penciled in, I guess, as the starting point guard. He was a top 70 player last season before he got injured with that knee injury. He gets steals. He hits threes. He's a strong rebounder for a point guard. Really, really like him as a late round pick as well. And Montrez Harrell, I don't know if he's going to be the starter at the start of the season. I imagine he will be at some point overtaking in Gortat. He's got more value than Gortat has from a fantasy point of view. So he is worth taking a look with the last pick and seeing where it works out. A high usage, high efficiency field goal guy anyway. Um, it can really help. Lack of blocks is not great, but Gortat also is a lack of blocks guy, and he should not be someone who you're really looking at as a, a fantasy option in any sort of leagues, uh, that are shallower than 16 teams. If we're looking at, at a flyer type player, it's going to be Shea Gilgis Alexander. If Pat Beverly moves on, or if, if Ale- Gilgis Alexander shows enough, maybe they insert him as a starter. But to begin the season, he's not going to have enough value to provide that, uh, to provide those numbers straight away.
0: We have one more stop today, the Memphis Grizzlies. Tomorrow, the Atlanta Hawks, the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, the Charlotte Hornets, the Chicago Bulls, and the Miami Heat, all as we start the Eastern Conference tomorrow. Wednesday, we'll do the Spurs, the Pelicans, Thunder, Suns, Kings, and Blazers. And then Thursday, back to the Eastern Conference. The Memphis Grizzlies. Who are they? Where are Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley in their career? Peter Edmondson gives us that breakdown.
8: Hi there, this is Peter Edmiston of Locked on Grizzlies talking a little bit about the Grizzlies season ahead here on Locked on NBA and boy, it is uh, quite a change from last year. The the feeling around the team, uh, the optimism that has replaced what was just a tremendously pessimistic and down year last year uh, around uh, Memphis. It does feel like a, a bit of a renewal of years past when the Grizzlies did make the playoffs and were in contention. Now, whether they will be able to do that or not remains to be seen, but at least there is some positivity uh, around here for the first time in a while. Of course, the Grizzlies last year winning 22 games, marred by injury and drama and everything else. Mike Conley missing all but 12 games last year uh, due to a heel and foot injury and ankle injury, kind of all three, a whole bunch of different things, all factored in, but he is back healthy and playing very well in the preseason. The Grizzlies lost David Fisdale, their head coach, last year due to uh, drama and issues and uh, personality conflicts and all kinds of stuff. He and Marcus All did not get along. Uh, he and the front office did not see eye to eye on a lot of things, and so he was dismissed 19 games into the season last year. The Grizzlies were seven and 12 at that point, and only won 15 games uh, from there on out. So it was uh, that was just a just a just a completely uh, horrible lost year in so many ways, for the Grizzlies. But if you want to look at the silver lining, I guess from that horrible, terrible season emerged uh, a top-five draft pick, and Jaron Jackson Jr. was the man taken with that pick, and the 19-year-old has already uh, impressed in preseason with energy, with some desire, with some defensive instincts. Of course, mistakes, uh, you've seen quite a few of those as well, but uh, certainly one of the youngest players in the draft— one of the youngest players in the league right now, and he uh, he looks like a very exciting part of what should be a very interesting season. Mike Conley, as I mentioned, is healthy again and playing really well in the preseason. Same thing with Mark Gasol, who is uh, you know thirty three will be thirty four in January. Gasol and Conley, the longest tenured teammates in the NBA, they've been playing together for uh, ten years now, and and really just have that. Sixth sense about them when you watch them play in the pick and roll, when you watch them play together, the two man game. You know, they just have that ability. You are going all the way back to guys like you know, Stockton and Malone that you just you just kind of they know where the other one's going to be instinctively. You don't even have to look. You just kind of have that feel. And when they're both healthy, the Grizzlies are a completely different team than uh, than at any other time. And obviously, they will need to keep them healthy in order to have any kind of chance to make the playoffs in a very competitive Western Conference. And that's the thing this year for the Grizzlies is the expectation you know, really depends on where you are. I think outside of Memphis, you know, certainly in Vegas and the, the wins predictions, most people would have the Grizzlies around the 33-34 win mark, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's uh, most of the totals that I've seen. And yet uh, around here, I think the, the the thought is that this team can make the playoffs, uh, assuming Kyle Anderson is healthy and he's missed the last couple games with a what JB Bickerstaff termed an Achilles thing, we'll see what what that actually means. It's always a little scary from the Grizzlies, but uh, word is he's not too seriously hurt. You know, he he's a, a big part of what they want to do. But assuming he's healthy and everyone's healthy you know, around here, I think the the thought is much higher than that. And internally, certainly they feel as though they can make the playoffs. And you know, once you look at the Western Conference and, and you look. And, you know the Warriors clearly best team in the West. Rockets not too far behind. The Jazz I think are right in that mix. You know after that it's really pretty wide open, all the way down through. You know and then probably the Kings and the Suns are out of it. And somewhere between four and thirteen, I don't know that there's three or four games difference in all of those teams. You know, Minnesota is totally up in the air right now. Yeah, I think, you know, San Antonio is up in the air right now. But, uh, you know, there's some young teams like Dallas that look pretty interesting. Um, so, you know, you, you, just, you just don't know. And I think the Grizzlies are, are in that group uh, of a lot of question mark teams that if it all goes well, could jump up and be in the playoff mix and win uh, 45 games things don't go well, if injuries happen, uh, that's that's the biggest concern for the Grizzlies relying so much on older players, then they could be right back in the 25-30 win mark. And this year it's a little bit different because they don't own their first round pick. It's protected one through eight, but otherwise it goes to Boston. So uh, it is uh, sort of incumbent upon the Grizzlies to, to, to make hay while the sun is shining this year because they don't have their pick. They aren't going to, uh, in all likelihood, not going to get uh, anything out of it if they should fall short of the postseason. Uh, so the pressure's on. They do have an overall coaching staff as well. J.B. Bickerstaff was hired in the offseason as full-time head coach, and he brought in a number of coaches, uh, including uh, Chad Forcier from San Antonio and Orlando uh, as a player development guy, along with um, Jerry Stackhouse, who comes in from the Raptors organization, head coach of their G League franchise, the 905, uh, former G League Coach of the Year. Vitaly Potopenko, Nick Van Exel on this staff as well. Uh, a lot of guys that really have specialized in um, player development over the years, and that's what the Grizzlies want to see from their new players, from the players that they have existing. They need those guys to jump in and develop. You know, So guys like Wayne Seldon uh, need to develop. Uh, guys like Dylan Brooks need to develop. You know, Chandler Parsons, can he stay healthy enough? To develop a little bit and be part of this team for more than just a cameo appearance, if you can, the Grizzlies have an opportunity. Uh, and keep an eye out for Marshawn Brooks too. Uh, is a, a guy that was signed last year, played the last seven games. You know, had a really incredible scoring debut, but you know, you thought, well, it's the end of the season, and, and who knows? Well, so far, at least in preseason. He looks like he's right back to getting buckets again. And if he's healthy and if he can just kind of crank it up a little bit more, he's going to be a a very interesting guy from a scoring standpoint to watch for the Grizzlies and giving them that little spark off the bench that they very often struggle to find. Big year for the Grizzlies uh, and looking forward to seeing exactly how it plays out on Locked on Grizzlies. Thanks so much for listening to the Grizzlies preview here on Locked on NBA. I'm Peter Edmiston.
0: Jaron Jackson Jr. was so good in the Utah Jazz Summer League. Loved watching him. He's going to be a perfect complement to that team. That Grizzly team, if they stay healthy, and gosh, if Chandler Parsons ever comes around, could still be one of the surprise teams. Points gain does not love them because guys are coming off bad years, and we don't look at them as being able to recover back in the same way that they may. Uh, they're lacking some possessions as well. They need some more guys to pick up some of their possessions. They rank 13th in the Western Conference offensively, 23rd overall, and so they come in as 13th in the standings. That's probably too soft, but who are you going to put them... Ahead of maybe Dallas, but Dallas might... I mean, it, the West is just loaded if Memphis is 13th. Uh, with Gasol and Conley, you'd think they'd be better than that. Jaron Jackson stepping in. What do you do with them fantasy-wise? Let's give Josh Lloyd the chance to give us that take.
4: The Memphis Grizzlies, fantasy value on this team, uh, some value that people may not expect as well. I really like Mike Conley. I think he's going to be their number one fantasy player this season. A lot of people are scared off due to not only his Achilles injury last season, but the stats that he put up. But I think you have to disregard those numbers because he was playing with that injured heel slash Achilles, and that did bother him. In 2016-17, he was a top 30 player, and while he may not reach quite that level, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people, and he's a solid mid-round guy. Marcus Sol still put up strong numbers last season, even if his field goal percentage fell off for Cliff, but some of that is effort-related, and he was clearly unhappy with the situation. I'm not worried about a trade for either of these guys, and I think Gasol is a strong third or fourth-round pick in fantasy drafts. The big steel player for me for the Grizzlies is Kyle Anderson. He was a top 100 guy in only 26 minutes for the Spurs last season. You'd have to imagine those numbers skyrocket with the Grizzlies, and while his efficiency may not be over 50% from the field, which it was in uh, San Antonio, even a dip in that should enable him to be... A top 70 player at worst for Memphis as they're starting small forward, getting steals and blocks and assists and rebounds. Just not a high scoring guy. The real upside guy we're looking for is Jaron Jackson Jr., who may or may not start at power forward, but he's going to get run. He'll block shots, he'll hit threes. He is a fantasy dream if those minutes come. And at some point, he's going to be a top 20 guy. Probably not this season, but absolutely fine to look at him in the later rounds. And if they install him as a starter over Jermichael Green to begin things off, then I think a top 100, probably even higher finish, is realistic for Jackson. As for Green, I don't really care if he starts. He's not a fantasy guy that I'm looking at outside of very deep leagues. And the starting shooting guard spot, Dylan Brooks, Marshawn Brooks, Garrett Temple, Andrew Harrison, Wayne Selden. That's five guys to go into one position. It's pretty tough to find significant value there. Brooks put up good numbers, Dylan Brooks and Marshawn Brooks at the end of last season. But of course... The scenario now is completely different to what we were seeing in April, and I don't, I don't think that either of those guys should really be looked at as a standard fantasy player for this coming season.
0: That puts day one in the books. Hope you enjoyed day one of our Locked On NBA local experts on their team. Tomorrow we come back with you, get the whole series, five days, 30 teams, six teams a day, bringing it to you, and make sure you get Lo- Josh Lloyd's Locked On Fantasy Basketball Show as well. And On the NFL side of things, two fantasy shows for you, two draft shows for you, and the Locked On NFL podcast with great guests. This has been day one of the NBA preview of the Locked On Podcast Network.